Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. For those of you who are hurricane buffs like us, you know where they tend to form and where they track. They are either born from a tropical wave off of Africa or cross through the Caribbean or form within the Caribbean or Gulf of Mexico. In these areas, there is a much higher population of people who speak only Spanish, while the majority of the products that the National Hurricane Center puts out are in English. This puts a lot of pressure on our bilingual meteorologists in the community, like my guest today, to communicate the science accurately and quickly. I'm virtually sitting down with Nellie Carreno from Univision in Dallas-Fort Worth to discuss these challenges and what changes can be made in the future. Nellie, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to be here with you. Oh, it's awesome. I, I, I know this is a conversation we've wanted to have for some time on Weather Geeks. I know our executive producer, Mike Chesterfield, heard you at the American Meteorological Society meeting in Boston and immediately sent me a text and said, we've got her on Weather Geeks. And so it's really a great honor to have you. But before we get into the topic of the day, Mm -hmm. the question I ask every Weather Geeks guest, how'd you get into meteorology? (laughs) Well, it was by accident. I actually have two degrees. One is from uh, the University of Texas in Austin for broadcast news. And the other one I went to Mississippi State I just when I decided to pursue um, weather. And uh, it was because back about 15, almost 20 years ago, I won't date myself, um, the weather anchor got sick and they kind of threw me in and said, uh, we don't have anybody else just, you know, talk about the weather today. And I ended up really liking it. I, you know, I started looking at some things that I could do and say and I became very interested already during my journalism career and decided to go back to school and learn more about it and just became fascinated with it. So that's how it happened. Yeah. So you weren't this typical, like many meteorologists uh, that we have on on the show. Uh, Mm -hmm. There wasn't some experience when you were seven years old or anything like this. You, You were definitely covering news as a journalist before you started doing weather. That's right. And, you know, I grew up in Mexico, in Mexico City. And uh, there's not a lot of meteorologists in Mexico, even to this day. So something that I could look up to. No, there's a lot of weather ladies, as you know, they've they've got a reputation. Yeah, Uh, yeah, there's got a reputation. So it wasn't really something that little girls aspired to be um, where I lived. Uh, Once I got here and learned the science of it, it really became fascinating. Now, Nellie, just for um, for my sake, as we go forward in the podcast, uh, is your name pronounced Carreno or Carreño? Carreño. Carreño. I won't, but I will not hold you to it. Okay. Well, I noticed <laughs> that there was a tilde over the end, so I realized that I probably uh, mispronounced it in the intro. So, Nellie Carreño. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's okay. Right. Well, we'll make sure we try to get that correct as we go forward. Now, again, you have worked for many different stations during your career. Um, would you say that 
your experiences, perhaps as a journalist, as well as uh, someone that understands the weather and also working in di different uh, markets, how, how has that experience been for what you currently do? What have, what have you been able to benefit from from that experience? Oh, you know, um, because I was, I started off as a news anchor in English in little towns, Abilene, Texas, Amarillo, Texas. I paid my dues. I was one of those. I, I was in several very small cities um, as a journalist in English, and I was a reporter, entertainment reporter, um, and that's what I was doing when I started becoming more interested in weather. And so I think it helped me um, to really know the importance of the rundown and the placement. And so when we have meetings, I, I, I pretend I'm the assistant news director most days, you know, saying, well, I would open with weather. I would definitely open with weather. Or, you know, I understand if we have this major story, you know, tease weather here and come back to me, but, you know, today's rather quiet. So I think I have a better perspective on um, the placement of weather and how to really make weather as important as it, it should be. Now, let me just give you some of her background. I've mentioned, and she's mentioned some of it, but she's meteorologist at KUVN Univision in Dallas, Fort Worth since 2016. From 2011 to 2016, she was at NECN in Boston as the evening meteorologist, and before was the chief meteorologist at Telemundo and producer host of Total Access. Uh, before that, she was at AccuWeather as a bilingual meteorologist, and you've heard about some of her background, and she was born in Mexico City, but moved to Dallas as a child. So you've been all over the, all over the place a little bit. What, what, any favorites in terms of your weather, in terms of either just experiencing weather or even forecasting it? Well, it's been so different. You know, um, this is the first time that I'm dealing constantly with tornadoes. It has been a challenge. Uh, but I grew up here, so I know about tornadoes. I know about large hail. Uh, Boston was certainly tough because I was the new kid in town, and I was the one they sent out on every single blizzard. And I was out there for eight hours, you know, from the beginning of the blizzard towards the end. I remember one, I believe it was 2011. It was on my birthday, February 8th. And I sat outside in Copley Plaza in Boston for about eight hours and started off the day you know, with a few inches of snow, by the end of the night, I couldn't move my face. My face was frozen and we had snow just as about as tall as I am. So I've had a lot of experiences with blizzards. Um, something that has stuck with me, I went down to Houston during Harvey and that's probably been the most difficult uh, to see uh, regarding tragedies. You know, you mentioned our, our viewers, our Hispanic viewers, um, you know, they don't have a lot of resources. And when I, I went down to Houston for, um, to help Univision in Houston, because we knew what was coming, as a lot of meteorologists did, we knew that it was going to get stuck over Houston. We know that Houston floods, and if you get two inches of rain, much, much less what happened. And so I went down there a few days before Harvey, and um, ended up staying up about two weeks trying to help out our fellow meteorologists in Houston and the things I saw there, I think that's been the most horrible and difficult situation that, that I've had to help with or forecast. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I want to now pivot to the, one of the topics that I want to discuss with you today, messaging. Look, messaging is difficult enough 
no matter what the language is when it comes to weather, there's so many terms that aren't familiar to many people in the public. Let's face it, in the weather community, we often use jargon that's more meaningful to us than the public. We're, we're talking about people struggle with things like probability and uncertainty, and then throw into the, the mix the, the differences in languages that you know, the various and diversity of our country offers, and that's a good thing, by the way. Uh, what do you find most challenging? Um, broadcasting weather or warning and communicating about weather uh, in, in, in English or Spanish, or is it just a different experience, but not one more difficult than the other? Oh, definitely Spanish is harder. <laughs> uh, why, why do you say so? Yeah, well, try to say bombogenesis in Spanish. <laughs> That's right, or derecho. Well, I guess derecho <laughs> works, actually, because that probably has origins, but bombogenesis and some mm -hmm. of the... Well, not. we find a way to translate it, but there's a lot of words that don't have an exact translation, and you're kind of making it up as you go along, but you... Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and, you know, so I contact other meteorologists uh, that speak Spanish that have been around for a long time, but, you know, one example, a lot of the translations, and nothing against them, but a lot of the translations for Spanish speakers were done in Puerto Rico, because that's the first Spanish speakers that had a meteorology program. Well, Puerto Rican Spanish is 1,000% different than Mexican. Okay, this is a really interesting and something I will admit not really understanding or realizing uh, that, and, and I, I actually took a little Spanish in school, but didn't, are you saying that dialectically or even just structurally Spanish that say someone from Puerto Rico speaks is different from- Oh, it's, it's different. I didn't realize that, interesting. It's very different. And so uh, what might be an urgent word in Puerto Rico for Spanish and Mexican Spanish, um, it does not have the same connotation. And so that's one of the things I talked about um, during the meeting that, that you mentioned is that I, I did um, a survey, if you will, and uh, I ranked how we put warning, watch, advisory in Spanish. And for warning, we have the word aviso um, for Mexicans. And, and I don't want to speak for all Mexicans, but I did do this survey. It was 500 people, 500 of Mexican descent that live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And my parents, and the, you know, I talked to everybody. And even when I first started working as a meteorologist, aviso is like, don't step on that ice cream on the floor. That's that's what you use aviso for. Hey, te aviso que no te pare sobre eso. That does not have a sense of urgency. So when I'm talking about a tornado and I say we have un aviso por tornado, um, that's what we use. It does not say to you, you need to look for shelter now because it's coming at you. And when I have, you know, I had an EF3 tornado in the city of Dallas, North Dallas, on October 20th uh, of last year. And so these things matter. So I did that survey and Aviso came in last on sense wow. of urgency when it came in too. So, but that was something they came up in Puerto Rico and for them, Aviso must be something very urgent, right? Right. So that's, but, but for us, we have so far to go that we can't even decide on what to call weather in Spanish. Yeah. A lot of Latin American countries, they say clima, which to us is climate. And in the U.S., we've been using el tiempo, which also means time. But um, that is the correct way to say it because we're also trying to educate our um, viewers on climate. And if you take away our word climate, what are we going to use? And so when I did the survey, 50% called weather climate. Wow. So we we have a lot long way to go, and I think it's important to include the Mexican population in some of these terms because you know Dallas and most of Texas, 
most of the Hispanic population is Mexican. California, Chicago. I mean, it is different in Florida and in parts of New York, but uh, you know, most of the Hispanic population in the U.S. is Mexican. And so I think there has to be, it's going to be a difficult change and nobody likes change. And so there's been a little bit of pushback on that. But, um, but I think, you know, in the end, it would be very beneficial for us to kind of get together and come up with, with something that works for everybody. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with meteorologist Nelly Carreño. Or Carreña? Carreño. I had it right. And just a fascinating discussion, one of which I've already learned something today. And that's what I love. I, I know a lot about the weather, but I always learn things on Weather Geeks. And one of the things that I, I love about this podcast, and I hope the listeners do, is I always learn something. You've already taught me some things today. I want to pick back up on what you were saying, because you, you mentioned that there are these words that are difficult to translate, some of the jargon meteorological terms, there are differences in the type of Spanish that, that, that are being translated. Um, I want to move there because you kind of hinted at it, because clearly to me, as, as someone that's been in this enterprise a while, it's been at the leadership of one of its main professional societies, something needs to be done. What's, what is that something? Are, are there commissions, panels, information statements? Or, or what's being done? Well, um, I know of uh, several people that are working on getting with the National Hurricane Center and also talking about some of their terms. I think that some meteorologists feel like some of their frustrations are just them, but no, it's also in the Spanish community because we have to translate those things and you know, getting together and agreeing on, on what the most uh, emergency and or the highest risk or you know what it means in all these different dialects are, are so difficult. I wish I had an answer. Um, on what to do, but I feel like um, some of the terms in the Spanish for warning and advisory and all of these things, they were set upon a long time ago. Um, and I think we ha they have to be revisited and make sure that they are, you know, if we do some of these um, polls and find out that most of our Spanish viewers don't know what it means when it's a tornado warning or don't know what, you know, then, then I think we have to do a better job because at the end of the day, our purpose is to save lives. And, you know, one thing I try to do uh, when I send out push notifications um, for a tornado warning or something like that, I put it in Spanish and then in parentheses, I put it in English because I want them to see that connection. Okay, tornado warning, aviso por tornado. Um, so they get used to that, my, my viewers. And because, you know, if they get a warning from the National Weather Service, I want them to be able to say, okay, that's what it is. Um, but I, I don't have an answer. I, I think we definitely have to talk about it um, with, with the National Weather Service and with the National Hurricane Center um, and, and figure out a way where we can do better 
overall. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna exercise my voice for whatever it's worth and call on the National Weather Service or AMS or NWA. Uh, I think these organizations are one of the roles that the professional societies like AMS or NWA play is they can bring together the the players the first the Hurricane Center private companies, um, Weather Channel uh, and others to move on this. So I would love to see if it doesn't exist some type of special committee or commission on this problem, uh, perhaps even an, an information statement or some best practices uh, developed uh, by a committee that included someone like you and others, um, even just a guide handbook, a guideline on some of these issues and translation and just, just even an FYI. And I, I may circle back to you after this, because I think this really needs to be out there to even write something more broadly in some other formats as well. So I really appreciate, and I think you're seen as one of the leaders in kind of bringing this to the forefront. I know many people are talking about it. So first of all, kudos to you uh, for doing that. Do you think there need to be, I know that there's certainly where you are in Texas and perhaps Florida and in California, uh, quite a few people that perhaps speak Spanish. Do you think that there should be bilingual meteorologists or, or bilingual warning systems in every market? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think that uh, in this new census coming out, we're really going to get a sense of it, right? I think in the last 10 years, uh, we've grown as a community, and uh, you know there there are some places that um, don't have as many um, Latin Americans and, and Hispanics. And uh, for example, in Boston, um, there wasn't that many Mexicans. I, I looked around, <laughs> um, but definitely there are still Spanish speakers everywhere in Boston and, and uh, Chicago. You know how many. Um, even in parts of the uh, Nebraska, I've been to Nebraska and there's tons of uh, Spanish speakers, you know, and I think that every life matters and they have to be informed and there's so many of us that are willing to help. Um, I wanted to mention Joseph Trujillo. Have you heard of him? I, I'm not familiar with him, no. Okay, so it's this brilliant student that actually started helping me with this. He was a student, but now um, he started a committee called Latinx Committee. And he's looking into the translations for the National Hurricane Center and did a thesis on it. And he's just a brilliant young man, way smarter than me. And he's like 19 or something. Right. But, um, but he's been helping me a lot and, and realizing why things are the way they are. And he's helping me uh, put this committee together or he's putting this committee together. So I invite anybody that wants to get involved and that wants to help and um, and doing some great things in the Latin community to join that community. And it's part of the National Weather Service, Latinx. Oh, great. So how, how if, if someone listening to this were interested, uh, is there a website or a social media site that they can engage? There is. It's called Latinx. Um, and it's, uh, it, for example, on, you can find us on Twitter and it's at LatinWX. And, um, and, Joseph just put this together this year, um, but it's, it's gotten a lot of momentum. He, his workshop is the one that I was part of uh, during the meetings, uh, during the, um, this, this past meeting. And that's, he's the one that invited me to speak on some of these difficulties that we have. Um, so I, I really recommend, I think he's a great motivator and um, we really want get, to get some great things done with everybody in mind, right? With all of the different dialects and, and uh, ethnicities that we have. Yeah, and I, you know, I just, I 
them up on Twitter as you were speaking, uh, Joseph Trujillo at, mm -hmm. Latin, at Latin WX. Definitely give him a follow because he's doing some big things, important things. Because this is some some aspects of this, Nelly, aren't even are are, are difficult to, enough as it is in English. So, for example, I often argue that you know here where I live in Georgia, there are people that get confused between watch and warning. Mm -hmm. tornado watch and warning now out in out where you are people probably have be a better sense of it and we get tornadoes here in the south quite a bit as well but even if we look at the different categories like the s outlooks that the s the storm prediction center releases enhanced and moderate i mean the nuances of how those words vary even in english can confuse people and then throw a translation on top of it as well uh, i think that's a real challenge so uh, i i bet or i wonder given what you said earlier about Klima or um, the climate and weather. Mm -hmm. What do you find it like doing the translations when you're talking about climate and climate change? Well, that you know, it's tough because you can't tell somebody that they're wrong, right? Um, I, I did a an official um, survey on my Facebook asking my my followers how do you, how, how do you say weather in Spanish? You know, and a lot of them put clima, clima. And you can't say, you know, what your grandmother taught you or your mom taught you, it's wrong. It's not wrong. That's how they say it in a lot of uh, Latin countries. Um, so it's not wrong. But in the U.S., as, you know, Mexican-Americans or Cuban-Americans, we're trying to educate people to say it two different ways because climate is such an important part of our world today and something that we're trying to make better and that we're trying to change. And if we don't have those two different words, we're just gonna keep that confusion going. And so that I try to explain that to my viewers that, you know, here in the US is el tiempo. And so a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of times where I've corrected anchors or reporters that say, vamos con el clima. And I'm like, ah, el tiempo. You know, you try to do that without seeming, you know, snarky. Sure. Uh, but but because you're trying to establish something that that in the long run is going to be beneficial for your viewers and for everybody involved, I think. You know, I I agree with that. One thing that I often talk about um, um, is sort of the challenges with not only warning people, particularly people from um, you know marginalized communities um, that are already more vulnerable to extreme weather and climate. Do you find uh, being being a, an anchor or a person at Univision, and so you have a certain audience that you're primarily speaking with or targeting, do you find that there is a prevailing or heightened sense of awareness of extreme weather events or climate change as compared to, say, the broader American public where there's some skepticism and denialism out there about climate? Well, I'm, a, you know, out of my, I've been in doing this probably about 24 years now, right? Quite a bit. English and Spanish. And the most interesting thing that I have found about the difference, and man, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but in English, for example, in Boston, I would say, we're gonna get five inches of snow. And it was three and a half inches, right? And I would get the nastiest emails. You said it was gonna be five inches of snow. <laughs> Absolutely. My viewers in Spanish do not care. They, um, you know, whether to them is whether they're going to earn a living. A lot of them work in construction. A lot of them work outdoors. Um, they don't care if it's an inch of rain or three-fourths of an inch of rain. They just care if they're going to be able to make a living that day. Um, so I don't, there's not a, as many Karens, if you will. <laughs> well, I think that you're hitting on something, you know, there's a sort of this 
<laughs> I talk about all the time in Twitter, this whiny nature of the public, and we're victims of our own success to some degree in meteorology because, you know, we have made so many strides in weather prediction, but there's also this unrealistic expectation that some people have about weather forecasts. And so, you know, if it doesn't rain exactly how much, you know, oftentimes we'll say three to six inches of snow. Mm -hmm. And it, you get three inches and they're like, well, you said six. And I know we said three to six. You just kind of heard six. And so I don't have that in Spanish. Yeah, I, I got a, a forecast really wrong about three months ago. Right. Um, I don't even remember what it was, but it was bad enough. I mean, we all in the Dallas Fort Worth area just didn't nail it. I, I don't remember what it was, but um, but the next day I said, oh, we forecasted large hail because everything was there. Uh, enough lift, enough cold air, you know, you had all the ingredients for the cake, the cake just didn't come out. And so, um, and people literally put mattresses on top of their cars because when we get large hail in North Texas, oh, we, sure. as you know, and so they took the time to go out there and cover their cars and everything. And we blew it. I blew it. Right. So I put an apology, not an apology, but you know, I just say, you know what guys, just what I said. I, we had all these ingredients. I'm looking out for you. It didn't happen. And out of, I would say out of 300 replies, 290 said, I'm glad it didn't heal. Thank you for letting us know that it was, you know, it, I really, um, it, it's just the viewership is completely different. It, it's not nitpicky. If, if I get something not right on the money, they don't really care as we talked about, you know, um, it, it's different than than the viewers that I had in, in the English market that were, of course, not all of them, right? But I, but as you said, you know, if you said the rain was going to get here at one and it got here at two thirty, you said it, you know, and it's not like that. They're just very grateful. They're grateful um, for you caring about them, which makes me really sad because, you know, they're just. I get a lot of emails that's like, thank you for caring about us. Thank you for telling us about this. I'm like, it's my job, you know? <laughs> of course I care about you, so. Yeah, it's different. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and I'm talking with Nelly Carreño of, uh, what is your station again? You're in a Dow Univision in Dallas. And this, I'm, I'm, I'm just so fascinated by this conversation because there are so many layers to this conversation because we're talking about the inherent challenges of weather and climate communication in general, but then Nellie's dealing with, and is a longtime experienced professional, dealing with sort of an added layer in terms of translation. And as you just heard in the last section, segment, cultural differences too. Because I've often argued we have to become a society that takes warnings and acts on those warnings. And then if the worst doesn't happen, we're grateful. And it sounds like your viewers are, you know, I often have seen situations where it almost seems like someone wants that evacuates from a hurricane, for example, and then they come back and their house is still standing, but they're angry because they evacuated and nothing happened. There's this weird, odd sort of 
I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to be warned. And if nothing, great. I was temporarily inconvenienced, but great. I mean, and it's interesting that there I, that there's a there's a cultural connect that you've noticed for having worked in different markets. So hopefully we can get to that um, more broadly in general. Now, typically meteorologists are the station scientists. We just don't talk about weather. We talk about a lot of other things too that are going on that are science that the anchors will ask you. So do you find that to be the case, first of all? And then if so, are there other terms or challenges in communicating these sort of other hazards? Maybe it's a volcanic eruption or a tsunami. Um, what is your experience like? With <laughs> It definitely, it definitely is. And a lot of the things they asked me about, I don't know too much about, you know, I was just asked uh, to write a blog on this upcoming lunar eclipse, uh, penumbral lunar eclipse. I have to tell you, I'm not an expert on lunar eclipses. (laughs) But you have meteor in your title, you're meteorologist. Exactly. (laughs) I'm being facetious there because I get that quite a bit as well. Mm -hmm. So try, you know, writing that in Spanish. So yeah, it's got some difficulties, but I learn a lot, you know, obviously I do my research and I help them out. And, uh, but definitely, you know, um, one of the big things that I've dealt with more at Univision here in Dallas than in any other English stations where I worked is earthquakes, especially earthquakes in Mexico, you know, the large ones, the 7.5s and kind of explaining what happened because again, a lot of our viewers come from Mexico. And when you have one of those very large earthquakes, um, that's our lead story. And meteorologists needs to explain what happened and what kind of earthquake and when, you know, so that's something they kind of don't tell you in school that you basically become the scientist of everything. Sure. Um, but but it, it is the same in, in the Spanish stations. You kind of uh, take on that role and, you know, I enjoy it because it kind of takes me out of my comfort zone and I end up learning more about things that I usually don't, don't talk about. You know, I think one of the hardest things about that, uh, we have less meteorologists in the Spanish stations, you know, um, well, how many do I you do have, typically to, have at a station? I mean, because I well, know typically most stations will have maybe three or four meteorologists. Well, in Boston, because, you know, Boston is all sports and weather. That's, that's Boston. And we have, a, we have seven. Wow. <laughs> we had a, we had a lot. And so I got here and there's two of us. Um, and we had, uh, we have some rotating fill-in meteorologists that help us from the Houston hub. So, you know, we have some extra help. Um, but I do have to toot our horn for Dallas. We have the highest ratings at five and 10, regardless of language. Really? By far. Yes. You can look that up. I have, I have the papers. I have receipts to back that up. I'm going to take your word for it. Well, the reason why I think that's wonderful. First of all, I didn't know that when I worked in Boston and then I got here and you think about that. If you have an English station, you have so many places to pick from. But if you're a Spanish speaker and want to see it in your own language, you know, you really only have one <laughs> and that's, and that's us. And so um, we have a very, very large viewership in, in North Texas. And that's a big responsibility when there's two of us, when there is an EF3 tornado. So for example, that Sunday, the, uh, when we had the EF3 tornado, the odds of the cap breaking were very low. Very, very low. Probably not going to happen. But if it happens, it's going to be mayhem, right? So most of the chiefs weren't in because it was a Sunday. And, you know, you have a very low chance of this. But because there's two of us, I was in. 
you know, I'm there all the time. And so when that happened, I was the first one, you know, on and, and, um, and able to, to help my viewers, but there's no other choice for us because, you know, if there's a chance of whether we're there, whether it's one in the morning, whether it's four, there's not going to be another meteorologist that's going to be there for me, you know, so I'm on kind of 24 hours a day. <laughs> That's a big difference compared to in Boston. You know, you have the morning meteorologist, the weekend meteorologist, the midday meteorologist, the, you know, here it's kind of, it's us and and that's it. Yeah, we're talking with Nelly Carreño about the issues of weather warnings and communication in a bilingual um, context. One thing I'm curious about, and this is something my producers of the podcast really wanted me to ask you, um, what are your thoughts on, are, are people missing much science if they stick to like these Google Translate and other sort of uh, online translation um, tools in terms of weather warnings and communication? Are those things accurate? Like the translation um, tools and these search engines and those types? Well, I, I don't know how much you, you heard about my presentation with the American Meteorological Society. I heard a little I, about it. Well, um, I put several clips of meteorologists from different Spanish stations saying the same thing different way. Like the what they use for tornado warning. Some said aviso, some said emergencia, alerta, like Forget Google. We can't even. You can't even get it right. Even just you know, <laughs> get it together. You know, Google, I have no idea what Google says, you know, but um, there's not a consensus, not like in English, you yeah. know, um, it might not be the best word to use in English, but everybody has agreed to it. Right. Like right. it's a warning. We're all saying tornado warning, whether you're here or whether you're in Fargo, North Dakota, that's what it is we don't have that consensus in Spanish. And I think that really confuses our viewers, which is exactly what we don't wanna do, right? We want them to know what it is when they have to seek shelter. Now, one thing I have noticed is people do know in Spanish what tornado warning is, with things that affect them. Kind of like in Boston, blizzard warning, everybody knows because it's part of their daily life during the winters. Um, but other things, uh, they really struggle to to know what it means. I actually made a little sheet and laminated it for all my coworkers that said tornado warning, aviso por tornado, you know, and they keep it on their desk, the translations that we use because um, I want them to use the correct ones. They want to use the correct ones, but it can be confusing. So. Yeah, I think that this is amazing what you're doing. I'm, this is one of those things that, you know, people perhaps don't think about unless they're in a setting like the American Meteorological Society meeting where we where we learned about some of the work that you've been involved in. And I'm glad we can share it more broadly through the Weather Geeks podcast and in other formats as well. Where can people find you in social media if they want to follow you? Well, I would love that. And it's uh, Nelly Carreño TV. So it's N-E-L-O-Y-C-A-R-R-E-N-O TV. And that's on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all Very of good. them. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, and by the way, I want to commend you. Something you I, I read in your bio earlier is that at somewhere along the way, you were chief meteorologist and was it, uh, I don't remember the station. It was in Chicago. It, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I have to think, given what I know, and we've done shows about this, the number of 
first of all, women that are chief meteorologists, mm -hmm. then Latin or Hispanic meteorologists, chief meteorologists at that, you have to be groundbreaking in that sense, or at least in a small group. So I just want to commend you and congratulate you on yeah. that for being a role model and also uh, what has to be a, a groundbreaker or a pioneer in that regard as well. I mean, am I accurate in that assessment that there have not been that many women, uh, Latin, Hispanic chief meteorologists? Oh, definitely. I mean, you barely have a lot of uh, Mexican female meteorologists, actual meteorologists, you know, and when I started, there were none, there were zero 20 years ago. And so um, I knew that this was something important and, and it's something I know a lot are getting into it now and they're actual scientists. And I love, I love to see that because I think it's a wonderful uh, profession and I, I've enjoyed every minute of it. You know, I, every day is different and, uh, you know, here in Texas, my goodness, they keep me busy. You know, we're going to be at 110 heat index today. Um, so it's never a dull day and, and you can really enjoy it. You know, you have your fun days where you go do your live shot from the Arboretum and then you have your tough days when you have 10 tornadoes in, in one day. So um, I, anybody that wants to do this, you can do it. I was never good at math growing up and I did it. So <laughs> for all, all the students that are, are, are thinking that it's gonna be too tough, there's some tough classes. Thermodynamics wasn't fun, but I recommend it. And, and I think that it needs to be more of us. Sure. I really hate that we have to end it there, but we do. <laughs> but before I get out of here, though, it is that time of the podcast for our Geek of the Week. You like mm -hmm. to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Sarah Converse. She is a weekend meteorologist at WICS in Springfield, Illinois. Even though she forecasts the weather in the Midwest right now, she is a huge hurricane geek. She even wrote out Hurricane Wilma in 2005, which actually inspired her to pursue meteor meteorology. If you know someone that is a deserving candidate for the Geek of the Week, be sure to check out our social media pages. Nellie, thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation. It went by so quick. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, it really was, and it's awesome. But at least as a podcast, we used to do a TV show. We only had about 18, 16, 18 minutes. We've got <laughs> 40 years. So yeah, with technology has allowed us a little more time. But thank you so much. I am Dr. Marshall Shepard. Thank you.